have to pack. Um, I'm going back to Glasgow tomorrow, so I've got um, all my clothes and books and everything to pack up to bring with me tomorrow for uni. Jesus, lover of my soul, all-consuming fire is in your gaze. Jesus, I want you to know I'll worship you through all my days. For no one else in history is like you. And history itself belongs to you. Alpha and Omega, you have loved me. And I will share eternity with you. It's all about you. These interviews were recorded during the summer against the backdrop of riots in East Belfast. But the lives of the two girls who were interviewed are a million miles from the images of violence and destruction which appeared in our television screens. Judith is 21 years old and lives in the suburbs of South Belfast. When we met, she was preparing to return to university in Scotland. She is from a secure home, and although her family are not particularly religious, she decided to become a Christian when she was 17. Julie, on the other hand, is 24 and comes from a more troubled background. I first became a Christian when I was about eight years old. I was living in England at the time. My mum and dad were divorced when I was quite young. I think I was probably about seven at the time. And I lived, me and my two brothers lived with my mum. And um, shortly after that, uh, my my mum got sick. and She took ill with cancer. And me and my two brothers went to live with my dad. And he remarried just before me and my two brothers went to live with him. And she had two daughters. I kind of found out by accident that my mum was sick through a conversation that my dad was having with one of my stepsisters. Um, So for most of that time, we were a happy kind of a home. Um, But my dad and his second wife then started to fight and argue a lot. Um, And one day, my stepmom went out to do some shopping and she left me and my two brothers with the neighbours and she didn't come back. And I just kind of remember, like, the neighbour phoning what I now know, obviously, was social services. I was a bit young at the time to kind of really figure out what was going on. And my dad coming home from work 
and just being really, really upset and kind of going, you know, Dad, she's gone, she's gone, and, and nobody really knew where. The next thing I knew, we were looking for somewhere to live, and my dad had put me and my two brothers into foster homes. And that was kind of a really hard time for me um, because we never stayed in one place for a long time. We were moved about quite a lot. And How long did you stay in a place? Um, I'd say probably about a month maximum. And then you were kind of up and, and moved to another place. And it was that feeling of really not... Nobody kind of wanting you and nobody really loved you. And I guess for a lot of that time, I, I wondered what what I had done so wrong that, that nobody actually wanted to look after me and and people just seemed to be shipping me about everywhere and I never really had a place to call home and I didn't really feel like I had a family or, or anything like that. And why could your dad not look after you? To this day, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I haven't seen my dad in 15 years, so um, I'm not entirely sure what really happened there. Um... And it was probably the last foster home that we went to. Me and my two brothers were separated. Me and my younger brother were put in one place. And my older brother, who has um, some learning difficulties, um, was placed somewhere else. And it was at that point that my granddad stepped in. And he had this fear that, you know, sort of 10, 15 years down the line, we would be looking for each other and we'd have been just split up. So that was when we went to live with, with my granddad. And that was probably the first Christian influence that I had. My granddad himself wasn't overly religious, but one of my aunts um, who lived close by was was a Christian and she started to take me along to church. And I really liked it. I thought, you know, it, it was good and it was good fun and I didn't entirely understand everything, but I thought, this is great. I just go here and sing songs and it's it's wonderful and... She used to give me a little tambourine. It's quite embarrassing now. <laughs> but she gave me, like, a tambourine and I would play my little tambourine. And, and then she started to send us along to a Thursday night children's meeting. And that was really good for me because I just remember one Thursday night, I was about eight at the time, I think, and some of the leaders at the front, you know, got up and, and they said if anybody would like to become a Christian, that you know, that we would like to help you with that. And, and if you were interested in doing that, um, we're going to just be in, in the hall in the back and you can come through and, and we'll talk with you and we'll pray with you. And I remember turning around to my friend and my silly English accent and going, oh, that sounds like fun. And we kind of just went, yeah, all right then. So we went through to, to this room and there was like, I remember there was tons of kids, like, Nearly everybody in the whole meeting must have come through to this back hall. and So they split us into two groups. They were talking to us about, about Jesus and how he died on the cross um, to save you from your sins and he died to forgive you for, for all the things that you, know, that you do that maybe you feel you shouldn't do. And they explained it, I guess, in the simplest way you can to an eight-year-old. <clears throat> they said, so we're going to say a prayer now. And I was like, oh, OK, so... Um, they said this little prayer and, and then, you know, amen and has anybody got any questions? And I put my hand up and I said, yeah, how do you become a Christian? <laughs> and they were like, that, that's it. You just, you say this prayer and, you know, when Jesus comes into your heart and, and he changes your life. 
and forgives you of, of all the things that you've ever done done wrong or all the things that you ever will do wrong. And I thought, oh, that was really easy. And I didn't totally fully understand it, but I just remember walking out of there feeling like so happy, like this amazing weight had been lifted off my shoulders. And yeah, I didn't really have that much to be sad about, I guess, at the time. And I just thought, I don't understand this, but it feels amazing. It feels brilliant. And so I just, that, that was when I, my first, I guess, kind of experience of God. And, and that was when I, I committed my life to God when I was eight. I would say that there was a kind of a period of time that I was searching for something like that. I, I, I grew up in a family and I went to church um, I went to Sunday school every Sunday and it was a part of my life but it was just a Sunday part of my life like it would just be something I went to on a Sunday and it was really as I grew older and um, they started a youth club in my church it was called um, Shockwaves it's like a youth fellowship on a Sunday evening and I kind of went along to this with one of my other friends just because no one else was going and I kind of felt bad and thought that I should go and support the people that were running it which probably isn't the right reason but that's why I went along and I kind of met these guys who were Christians and I could see you know there, there was something different about them to me like I suppose I always thought maybe because I went to church that I was a Christian I believed in Jesus I believed in God and so therefore I kind of thought that I was and just meeting them and learning more about them and their lives I just realized you know this isn't me and in a way it kind of scared me and I just thought it was very weird it was very strange and that it wasn't for me and it was kind of a period of few months where they were running different events and um, me and my friend would go along to them and we would see all these young people just and there was just something different about them and the way they talked about God it wasn't just some guy in the bible it was like a real person and it just really, it did, it just scared me and I just didn't understand. I would go to these youth events and, you know, I would be on fire and I'd be like, yes, I want to change, I want to accept Jesus into my life. But then I would come back to my family and back to my friends and my school and I wouldn't have, you know, anybody around me that believed the same things as me. So I kind of just forgot about it until the next time I would go back and then I'd be like all renewed and refreshed but then it would kind of fade away again. And so it wasn't really until I applied to go on a missions trip to Uganda, which was when I was 17, and I met a group of people um, who were all Christians, just people like me, people that I got on really well with and people that were in school, same age as me, but, you know, were living their life for Christ, which at that time I don't think I really was doing. I knew that I wanted to and I knew that I believed and I'd given my life, but I just didn't know how about changing or how to grow more. Um, so that really impacted me. And then we spent four weeks doing missionary work out in Uganda. And I think just living with those people and all the people that I met in Uganda, that whole experience was just life-changing and was just a real turning point. Ever since coming back from that, you know, I think that was the starting of something for me, definitely. And can you tell me a bit about the ornaments that you bought um yeah this room actually is like my uganda room because a lot of the ornaments and stuff i brought home from me and these stools that i have um they're kind of just leather with the wee 
um, three stools. They're not very comfy, but they do look good. Um, with like elephants on them and a lot of um, this little thing here. I don't really know what it is, but I thought it looked pretty. And again, elephants. And then there's a little giraffe bowl as well. Um, and basically everywhere we went, there was people on the street selling these in like a market. So I really stocked up on a lot of mementos from while I was away. Um, what does that say? Or describe that to me. And what it well, means. it's just like it depicts a typical. This is what the African women do. They carry their babies on their backs. So it's kind of like instead of a pram or anything like that, it's kind of like just a a shawl. So it's like a scarf tied round, and there's a baby attached. And at the start, we didn't actually know because sometimes the children would walk around like just carrying this big blanket or a wrapped up sheet, and you were like, "What? What are they carrying?" And then there'd be like a little baby in it. So I think this kind of just brings back a lot of memories because this is kind of the pictures that you would see a lot of African women walking around with their children attached to them, which was quite like this picture. Um, we would spend a lot of time going into different schools and we would do schools nearly every day, like sometimes secondary, sometimes primary. Um, It was obviously much easier to get up in front of small children and give your testimony or um, sing songs to them because, you know, it's easy, they like something visual. But one thing I did find quite difficult when we went to an older school and there was people who were older than me, like my peers kind of, and... We were getting up doing dances and trying to be silly and I, I did find it quite awkward but the thing was that these people were so acceptable to us. What, what's a testimony? A testimony is just basically your story. It's kind of how um, Jesus affected your life, how you came to know him, just like telling them how when you became a Christian, that kind of thing, when you gave your life to Christ. Um, I was 17, I was with people I didn't really know. It was a very scary experience but yet I wasn't scared. There were so many emotional... It was a very emotional trip for me. I felt that um, I've, I showed my weaknesses to God. I felt weak before him. I was broken before him, just in the awe of everything that was going on around us and the people that were meeting and the children, like the poverty and stuff. So it was such an overwhelming experience and you kind of only... It only starts to settle in once you return home. You know, I think that it just changes you and it's a gradual, gradual process. So I walked out thinking my life was now wonderful and shortly after that my mum um, died from, from cancer and I just remember being like really distraught and really angry with God because I just thought I have given like God my whole life and now I feel like he's taken away the most important person to me and this is not a God who loves me, this is not a God who's looking after me. I was just really angry, but more than anything, just couldn't understand it and couldn't understand how how this would happen to me. I was like, you know, that I'm obviously a good person and therefore why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, it, was just, it was just something that was really, really, really hard for me to understand. Um, but I kept going to church and kept doing all of the things that, that I did um, and kind of just learned to just get on with it, I guess. And it was by far the most painful thing that had ever happened to me in my whole life and probably is still. And But I just thought, well, if this God is real, then, then he'll get me through this and it'll be okay. And so I guess I was kind of just clinging on to something that was going to maybe help me through this. Um, and shortly after that, then, my granddad, he was just, he was getting too old to look after 
another three kids and it was a case of we needed somewhere to live and my granddad just, you know, he came to us and he talked to us about moving to this place, Northern Ireland, and to live with your aunt and uncle and, and your three cousins and so I thought, yeah, okay, well, why not? <laughs> so he said, you know, and you're gonna you're gonna really like it there and it's really nice and it's right beside the seaside. <laughs> Which it's not. That's <laughs> Newcastle is what he was referring to. <clears throat> and where where did you move to? Um I moved to a place called Lurgan. But not what I expected, I guess. And it's just again as like maybe that eight, nine year old conjuring up all these pictures in my head of, of what it's gonna actually be like. And then getting there and going, Granddad, where's the seaside? And it was it was quite funny, but um, so I came over and me and my two brothers, and we moved in with my aunt and uncle and, and my three cousins. And I guess I kind of felt like this is now my opportunity to to start again and, and to start, I guess, a new life, you know. And my mom and my dad are, are not around anymore, but I can I can make a life and I can I can make a home for myself. And my aunt that I moved over to live with. Um, such an amazing woman and a Christian woman and that was where my influence for, for God I guess kept going um, and, and we went to church and we went we went to Sunday school and, and things like that and as I got older I started to understand a little bit more about, about God and about what it means to be a Christian and I was pretty convinced that you know I'd made the right decision and that the worst of my life was probably over and things probably could get any worse than losing your mum and dad and, and moving to a country where you don't know anybody and people think you have a funny accent. I was very happy, I guess, from going through foster homes to finally be in a place where I thought, now I have a home and I have a family that I, that I can call my own. And I, and I did, and I loved them, and, and I do love them. Then, I guess, disaster kind of hit my life again for a, for a second time. and. Um, I was sexually abused um, for five years from when I was 15 and, until I was 20 and I can't explain to you <laughs> by the same person and I just, it's one of those situations that you don't see yourself going into. I mean I know how hard it is to be there and to not know where to go or what to do. Um, and to not even know how you got there and to not know how things got to the stage where you can't even tell anybody or you can't say anything. And at this point, I was now extremely, extremely angry with God and I just thought, all of my life, people have told me about this God who is going to look after me and who cares for me and who loves me. And yet, ever since I became a Christian, everything has gone really, really bad and, and my life has gone from bad to worse and, and I, don't, I don't understand that. Describe your Bible to me. This one that I have in front of me? Um, it's very battered and bruised. I should really get a new cover for it. Um, the thing was, this wasn't actually mine. I didn't, I've never actually gone and bought a Bible. This is a Bible that we had in our house that my mum had kind of just got from church one day. She thought... As like me, it's pretty. It's kind of got like pinks and purples and blues, which I thought was very pretty. And so I just kind of adopted it as my own. 
and it's now rather battered. I do have other Bibles, but this is my original that I kind of have notes in and that I kind of have things underlined and easier to find things in it because it's just been with me for the past three, four years. Do you have a favourite passage? There is a passage in Matthew um, about do not worry. Um, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. I think that's something just about worrying, because before I became a Christian, I used to worry about a lot of things. And that was kind of the, one of the first passages that I remember learning, and that I remember thinking, hey, actually, that was actually... Um, and that was something that I read a lot when I was away. It was like, why should we sit here and worry about what's going to happen tomorrow? Because there's just no point. Let me try and find something else. What did you worry about? I don't know, I was just a worrier. <laughs> just silly things, things that are out of my control that I shouldn't have worried about, but no, I just place it in God's hand. Like, if I, if there's something that I'm worried about, I just come before God and talk to him about it and just say, look, God, I'm something that's really getting me down, you know, pass it onto his hands, just, just tell him to look after it for me and that whatever happens, he will be over and that, you know, I just, I just trust in him that... Whatever happens is his will. It's funny how a book can have so much power. Like, it's just a book, written word, but yet it changes people's lives. And it's funny. It is really funny. I can't, I can't describe it, but there's just passages that sometimes just really lift me. Like, um... Philippians 4.16 or 3.16 I can do all things through him who strengthened me and right, I'll, yeah Where is it? Philippians, it's 4.13 I can do all things through him who strengthened me and like just I remember my gold jig of ed, this is so random but my gold jig of ed, um, I was trekking through the fields and I was just like I, I don't want to do this, I was just like I hate this, I don't want to be here, I don't want to do this and then I just started remembering this verse. And I know it sounds really silly, but it's like, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I'm like, Lord, strengthen me, help me get through this. Like, and I know it sounds silly, but things like that really give me encouragement. And also, like, um, like certain sort like, Be Bold, Be Strong, which is, like, the naffest little children's song ever. Um, like, Be Bold, Be Strong, for the Lord your God is with you. I remember kind of just singing it, come on, like just things like that. I just, I do find music um, is a big part of my life and sometimes I write in a journal as well because I find I talk a lot of nonsense sometimes and I kind of help process things when I write it down and so sometimes I write my prayers down and so it's good that I can then look back on them and all the feelings that I had when I, when I wrote them kind of come back and I see how God has got me through those times and how he's um, provided for me in different circumstances. So just keep moving someday, maybe I'll get to where I'm going. I'm a brilliant actress. I love drama. And that, I mean, I can see why now, because all of my life I just smiled at everybody and went, everything's fine. And, I mean, the abuse was still was still going on while I was in university. Um, and nobody knew. Nobody knew. And I just, 
was too scared to tell anybody and too scared to do anything. And What did you think in your head? The only way out of that that I saw was just to not be here anymore. And the worse it got and the more that I didn't know how to get out of it, the more I just wanted to kill myself. And I was just like, I have no reason to live. I have no purpose for being here and I can't see a way out of this and therefore it would be better for me if I just wasn't here. I was seeing a counsellor, but I was telling her everything except for the abuse because it was still going on and I just didn't. I was too scared to tell her in case she did something about it and I didn't want her to do anything about it because I was too scared of, of what would happen from that. And eventually she just was like, we're going round in circles and she referred me to a doctor who um, put me on antidepressants. And at this stage, I was just so, like, I think at this stage, this is where I hit rock bottom. I just thought, I need if I need put on tablets to make me happy and to stop me from doing something stupid, my life is a mess. God was so far and so distant to me that I just decided to totally rebel and everything that I knew to be right and everything I knew to be moral was just irrelevant to me. Had you stopped going to church? No. I was still going to church on a Sunday and it, again it's down to that false pretense thing of everything's okay and going to church and smiling at people and making them think like yeah everything's fine and my faith is fine and, and not really wanting to admit to people that I was totally losing faith in, in God and, and in what I believed. I was a Christian, on, I was a Sunday Christian. I was Christian in church, but I wasn't any other time. Um, when I was with my friends, I was just like they were. I was just the party animal student, the same as everybody else. But the really ironic thing about all that was that even when I was doing that, I was still talking about God <laughs> to people. And, you know, people were saying, oh, you know, Julie, you're a Christian, right? And I was like, no, no, I'm not. You know, I'm I'm a bad Christian. And I would be like, I believe in God, and I believe that if I died tomorrow, I would go to hell. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not an example for you to follow. Why did you think you would go to hell? Because I didn't believe that I was living the Christian life. I didn't, I wasn't living the Christian life at all. I didn't, I would not have called myself a Christian at that time. I just would have been like, no, I'm doing what people want me to do on a Sunday because I I want people to think I'm okay and I want people to think that nothing has changed with me um, when really a lot of things had changed. <clears throat> and I mean, it was down to, I guess, a searching time where I just thought I'm searching for the answers to be happy. And that's all I wanted out of my life. I just wanted to be happy because I felt like life had dealt me the, the raw hand and I just wanted to be happy like everybody else. So I thought, well, those people look happy. I'll do what they're doing. What has your family's reaction been like? Um, my family, as I said, you know, my mum would have brought me to church and my brother and sister would have come to church with me um, up until they got to the age where it was in my church was called Confirmation, where they got to, you know, it's typical in our church that you get to that age and you were like, oh, I'm being confirmed. I'm choosing whether or not... Um, to accept Jesus. I'm going to accept Jesus, but I'm going to leave church because I'm old enough now to decide. And so that happened with both my brother and my sister. And then it kind of got to me. 
And when I was confirmed, it didn't really mean anything to me, but I was like, because I was the youngest, my mum kept going to church on a Sunday, I thought, oh, I better go along with my mum. It's really funny because, you know, you talk about people going out, Christians going out and evangelising and, you know, spreading the gospel. And, you know, back at my university, we do a lot of outreach um, to the other students. And even back home, I would do outreach with children. And, you know, I find it very easy to talk to them and tell them about my faith. But it's kind of different when it's your own family because they know me better than anybody else. So I find it is hard sometimes to talk to them, but also because they're my family and they're my parents and I don't want to say, hey, there's something missing, everything that you believe is wrong. Like, I wouldn't want to ever do that. So I think it is it is quite difficult um, to try and relate to them without making it sound like I'm better because I believe this. Um, so that is something that I do struggle with and I find... It's very hard because I love them to bits and they're my family and they're great. So it's hard for me to say there's something missing, you need to do this. So When do you struggle with it? I suppose just um, when there's things that they... Oh, I need to think about this one. I suppose I struggle with it if they start asking me questions. You know, if I find just in general with everybody, you know, anybody gets a bit of alcohol into them, it always comes down to some form of a higher power, some form of people believing something. And, you know, I would find that, you know, sometimes if we have big family get-togethers and, you know, I think my, my parents don't understand, you know, they're very good people and they're like, you know... I know Christians that do this and, you know, I would never do this and people that say they're religious and then do this and, you know, I'm a good person and I provide for my family and I do this. And I think it's hard to explain to them the spiritual side, the side of, um, I think a lot of people see as Christians, you know, the works that they do rather than what they believe. And that's what it's all about. Like, that's why we're Christians, because we believe in Jesus Christ. And so I think I do find it difficult to talk to them openly about that um, just because it's something that they're not familiar with it's not something that is very talked about being would a Christian you, would you like them to become Christian? well yeah obviously I would I would love for them to believe what I believe and but I just pray for them and do you think it would enrich their lives? well yeah because I think that it has enriched mine and I would love for them to believe what I believe and know the power of God like I do. Tell me about your necklace. Um, it's just a silver, quite plain for me, um, just a plain silver cross. Um, my family laugh at my selection of crosses, I have one in every colour, but not just because, um, yeah, my friends find that quite do you ever not wear a cross, but that like it's just I always play with it and I think sometimes when I play with it it's like reminds me it's a cross yeah Jesus died on a cross for our sins that's quite a major thing and like obviously though I'm not saying that every Christian should wear a cross or that anybody that wears a cross would be like oh I'm wearing you know a cross to remind me of Jesus Um, I can't openly say that's the only reason I'm wearing it I'm wearing it because I think it looks nice but also it does remind me of the price that Jesus paid Um for me but 
I do take it off, it's not something that is always with me. Why do you call God he? Do I? Why do I go call God he? Because he's male. Why is he male? That's just the way he's referred to. God, in a way, is just... He's a person, he's a spirit, he's... Yeah, but then again, that's me keep saying he. I, suppose, I, I don't know, I never realised that. Because he's referred to as he in the Bible. Well, God, yeah. Tell me about the first time that you came, you went to Kingsway. Tell me about the first service. They were having like worship and you know singing and and people were dancing and they were truly happy and I was like, oh my goodness, why are they dancing? And I just thought this is something like it wasn't like singing words. It was like they meant what they were singing. It was like they were getting life from what they were singing. It was like every word that came out of their mouth meant something to them. And I just thought. That's really strange, but at the same time, a little scary because I'm not used to this. <laughs> I haven't seen this before and I go to church and I think I'm lively because I clap my hands. So this is really, really strange to me. I kind of wanted to leave, I have to admit, I kind of wanted to leave. And I turned my phone back on and I thought, somebody will phone me and I'll be able to go. And I sat down, I mean, everybody was on their feet and I just... I, sitting there, the only person sitting down and, and sitting there kind of going, Lord, and praying, Lord, please give me a reason to leave. I don't feel too comfortable here. And it's quite strange. It never happened to me before. God spoke to me, almost like an audible voice, almost like I'm speaking to you now. And it was just like this voice that just said, but it isn't about them. It's about me. And I just thought, yeah, that's true. I mean, these people are not dancing for themselves. They're not doing what they do for themselves. And therefore, why should I worry about what they're doing? It doesn't matter if I want to do it or I don't, and I don't, so that's okay. I'll sit here. I don't need to do that, you know, because I'm here to meet with God. I'm here to worship God in my own way. And so I just sat down and, and I started started to pray and I had been given um, the gift of tongues um, on a church weekend at home uh, a few months before that. What is the gift of tongues? The gift of tongues is like the language of the Holy Spirit. It's like when you speak in a language that you've never learnt before. I kind of thought it was for people who were really holy and I didn't really see myself as a really holy, good Christian. You know, I, I saw myself as somebody who, who makes mistakes and who sometimes does things that they shouldn't do. And I thought, wow, I, I just felt really honoured and really like, God gave that to me. And, and I didn't think I could have something like that. And sitting just in Kingsway that night, I started to pray and just all of a sudden I just was praying in tongues it was like this thing had just been removed from my tongue and I was able to just open my mouth and do this. And I thought, like, I have never felt... I felt like God was, like, right beside me. And I just thought, I have never felt this before. This is amazing. I kind of stood up and people were still singing. And, you know, it was it was a bit loud. It was noisy and people were excited and they were singing and, and all this stuff was going on around me. And I got these two words in my head, be still. 
that's really strange. And in Kingsway, they have a microphone at the front, and they have a microphone because it's noisy, and if you try to pray, people won't hear you, so you pray into this microphone. And these two words were going over and over and over in my head, and I thought, why, why? And I had this urge to get up to this microphone and tell everybody to be still, and I thought that would be really strange because it's totally contrary to what's going on around me. I mean, in, in seeing people do things like this before in church, I knew this was another gift. It was a gift of prophecy where God speaks directly to somebody a word and they bring that word to the church. And again, to me, was a gift for holy people. And I was like, I'm not holy enough to do something like that. But these words were just going over and over and over in my head. So I said, OK, Lord, if you want me to say the words, you're going to have to move me because I can't move. I'm too, I was really scared. I was really, really scared. Nothing like this had happened to me before. And like, I can't move because that would be terrible. And everything's really noisy. So there's no opportunity anyway. It was like, I was just making all these excuses. And for like a split, maybe 15 seconds, there was like silence. And I felt my legs starting to move. And I was like, where am I going? And I picked up this microphone. And the next thing I knew, I was standing in front of this microphone with these two words going through my head, be still. So I thought, what do I do? Okay, I'll just say the words. But I opened my mouth and started to pray in tongues. I just was praying and praying and praying in tongues. And always in a church, if this happens, um, somebody will get up and interpret that. So somebody will be given the gift of tongues and somebody will be given the gift of interpretation. So if somebody gets up and prays in tongues, then there'll be somebody else in the church who can stand up and interpret that. But I remember standing at the microphone thinking, like as soon as I I kind of just prayed until I ran dry and then stood there thinking, what did all that mean? And then those two words came back into my head, be still. And I thought, maybe that's what it means. Maybe I'll just say, be still. So I opened my mouth to say, be still, and this whole interpretation came out. And it was all about being still. It was all about, you know, do you not know that God doesn't come in the wind and in the fire, but is a still small voice? And sometimes you just need to be still before him to hear what he's saying to you. And I mean, I can't remember it all, you know, because it's, it's totally from God and it's not something that you know or learn. But I just gave this whole interpretation to what I'd said. And afterwards, just kind of fell to my knees like just praying and going whoa like God was so it was almost like on top of me like just really there like a presence like I'd never ever experienced before it was so real and I kind of briefly opened my eyes and just everybody around the church was just on their knees praying and I just thought that's amazing that's unbelievable
Do you ever think about when you die? What will happen then? Yeah. I can't wait. <laughs> it's it's going to be a great worship service when I die. <laughs>